0: What's the difference between a bad hair day and the end of the world? We'll look at this and other disturbing subjects in this episode of God Meets the Grind. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Some of my kids were grumblers when they were little, or in politically correct terms, they had a highly developed sense of social justice for themselves. They should have gone into law, I'm telling you. How come I didn't get a new bike? You said we would go to the beach. If our kids had a team motto when they were growing up, it would have been something like, That's not fair! One way my wife would combat this, God love her, she would take one of the kids out for ice cream or whatever, just for a little mommy kid time. And she did this with all of them, by the way. We're not monsters. And when she'd get home, the others, always suspicious, would circle. And I don't know how. I don't know if they sniffed the air and got the scent of the ice cream or what, like a pack of wolves. They'd go nuts. How come he got to go for ice cream? And my wife would just shrug and say, because I love him more. Isn't that genius? I love that. My kids didn't love it, of course. For my part, I'm a fan of mirth. You probably are, too. Even though the word mirth sounds like it came out of Downton Abbey, it still tingles and hums. You can add to that fun, frolic, and frivolity. I keep telling my friends that when I retire, I'm moving to a small, well-managed island in the Caribbean and opening a tiki bar. But grumbling? Nobody likes grumbling. Grumbling sucks the mirth right out of the room. Complainers are murderers of mirth, mirth assassins. But there's a bigger reason why we shouldn't complain. Paul lays it out at the end of this verse, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. All that by not complaining? Yep. Why is that so important to God? I think it's because God's in the people business, the transforming people business. No, not transformers, although there might be a good illustration there. So we are God's ambassadors. I love the way John Piper, one of the great preachers of the last 50 years, says it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Isn't that beautiful? So when is God least glorified in us? when we're the opposite of satisfied. So grumpy Christians are really bad PR for God's campaign. That means that something as small as a little complaint is big to God. I've talked elsewhere about what I call the glorious ordinary, the idea that for a follower of Jesus, there really is no ordinary because the ordinary is how God works. So a small word of encouragement or act of kindness is big to God. This is how grumbling takes on cosmic significance. I was impressed as a kid by my Christian friend Greg's life. Even though I moved away and lost touch with him, when I was an adult and a skeptic about religion, I started listening to Christians who wanted to talk about Jesus. Greg had lent credibility to the gospel, even as a 10-year-old. I never forgot that. His winsome example was a foothold for the gospel in my life that other believers who started to tell me about Jesus would later stand on. So strangely, astonishingly, our small attempts to be humble, be kind, to consider others more important and not complain, have this outsized effect in eternity. This lights up the everyday with glory. And not grumbling actually contributes to the amount of light we're putting off, We're complaining, our light starts flickering a bit. We're rejoicing, our light cranks up. I think this is why joy is a repeated theme in the book of Philippians. You can't at the same time be all, God is great, and how come they never put enough pumps of chocolate syrup in my frappuccino? Notice how Paul ends this section. In verse 18, he says, be glad and rejoice with me. You can't complain when you're rejoicing. At least... It would take some sort of next level talent to pull that off. It's funny. I just pulled a muscle under my collarbone putting my shirt on this morning. Hey, it happens. And I definitely don't need to hear any comments about it. So I'm in the kitchen making coffee and wanting to whine to my wife about how bad my pulled muscle hurts. Now, this is trivial compared to what Paul's thinking of. Complaining about church leadership, complaining about how your parents are dumb, or your kids are punks, or something big, the kind of thing that tears the church apart and depresses everybody. But this thought hit me. Yes, we need to share our ups and downs with others, especially those closest to us, but sometimes we need to hold back because it's just not helpful to them. When we complain about something to somebody, we drop some of our blah on their shoulders. Now they're carrying around some of our blah... That we just had to dump on them. Now, sharing with your wife that you just pulled a muscle, that's probably not going to drag her day down very much. But it's something to think about. But if the church devolves into complaining and disputing, then it starts to just look like a particularly contentious PTA meeting. Then what good are we? Paul continues in verse 16 by saying, Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. To hold fast to the word of life, I think, involves learning the Bible and seeking to live according to it. No secret there. But notice the language, hold fast. Hold it tight. The corollary to this is that we would shine as lights in our world. Shine as lights for what, though? Here's where Paul pulls us out of our small world, off our little street, to see the bigger impact of our little lives. Speaking of complaining, my wife and I had to fetch a bunch of boxes down from the attic this afternoon. You remember my pulled collarbone muscle? Well, that wasn't fun. So, I ended up whining about it. Well, not whining... You know, mentioning it in a mature, non-complainy sort of way. I was just stating the facts. I had this pulled muscle. It hurt to move the boxes. She called me a girly man. So there you go. Proof that it's bad to complain. Imagine you're at a party and this guy comes walking in with the most beautiful girl on his arm. And he's not exactly Brad Pitt, shall we say. Luckiest guy in the world, right? But then imagine you start chatting him up at the dip bowl, and he starts in on her, complaining about how her nose is too big or her hair isn't done up just right. Meanwhile, she's crazy about him. You would think this guy's nuts. Everybody should be so lucky. He's not even rich. This guy should be leaping for joy every minute of the day. I know what you're thinking. There's no way Lance can tie this back into the Bible. But watch this. If Christians really understood how wickedly lost we were, and how astonishingly gracious God is, and how terribly Christ suffered for us, and how horrendous a fate he saved us from, I really think we would walk around on the verge of hysterical laughter at our stroke of luck. We can't leave this passage without addressing this odd thing that Paul says right in the middle of it. He mentions the idea of his being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of the Philippians' faith. What, pray tell, could that mean? It's quite simple, actually. In the Old Testament, they would sometimes pour wine over their grain or animal offering, so it capped off the offering, so to speak. Paul says he might be that drink offering, capping off their sacrificial service. Not too many years later, when Paul is facing death, he would use the same imagery of his life being poured out as a drink offering. I love how he finishes this exhortation, Be glad and rejoice with me. Look, in my best moments, I am completely certain that my circumstances are brought to me by God. How often I have those best moments is neither here nor there. But that means that when I'm complaining, I'm complaining about how God's running the universe. Now, sometimes we go through something catastrophic. Our world has just turned upside down. We're having an out-of-body experience. I get it. Different playbook in those times of tragedy. But I think when it comes to everyday life, I guess what I'm getting at is we probably complain more than we should. We're complaining that the fries were cold at McDonald's, never thinking to question our decision to eat at McDonald's in the first place. Just kidding, McDonald's lovers. You know I love you. So that's why I think we should remember that our life is curated by God. It also helps to remind ourselves that things could be way worse Whatever's bugging me, I like to contrast it with a swarm of mosquitoes carrying West Nile virus settling in my backyard, or Armageddon. Pick your contrast, but take whatever measures you need to fight for joy. It helps us to better frame that unexpected layover in the Detroit airport or that bad hair day. So to wrap this up, Paul gives us an alternative to grumbling. Be glad and rejoice. This comes up quite a bit in this letter, this idea of joy and rejoicing. So, what's it going to be, grumpy or glad? Of all the people on earth, it seems like the people who know their God should be glad, not grumpy. Notice we have a choice. That's how Paul can challenge us, invite us to be glad instead of grumbling. So what do you say? Should we be glad today? I want to thank you for listening. In our next episode, we'll look at how two guys set a pretty good example for the rest of us. That's next time on God Meets the Grind.